have some spaghetti. We made carbonara today. Homemade with some homemade pasta. With homemade pasta. That and 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 last pod, uh, it was a Chris led meal, um, and this week it was an Anthony led meal, and it and it's just phenomenal stuff. So carbonara is actually my favorite pasta dish of all time. Um, Why? Uh, so I was always an Alfredo. <laughs> I'll give you the real story. I was always an Alfredo guy. Um, there was this restaurant that opened up across the street from my house when I was growing up. And I got really sick off their Alfredo. And now I can still eat it. I still enjoy it. But it's testy. It has to be really good. I have to make it myself. I can't really go out and get it. I have to get it from restaurants I trust. Right. Um, and carbonara is kind of the same thing. But, you know, less, it's, it's less creamier. It's a lot lighter. And it's, and it's not the same mental block that you have to get past. Correct. Correct. So... That's why I like carbonara, um, and it's really, really quick, and it's really easy to make. Right. Um, I mean, we kind of took the long road today by making making the pasta ourselves, yeah. and even still, it uh, total hands-on time was less than an hour. The longest part of the process was when we uh, we let the dough rest, because you got to let your pasta dough rest. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can. that's pretty much why I like it. Uh, Chris, I'll give you a little background now. Tell the people what exactly is pasta carbonara. So, people think that just because something is Italian, that it's definitely old, right? Like like any pasta dish recipe, like sauces or 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 whatever it may be. Um, but this one is not Roman, it's actually Neapolitan, um, and it started uh, in the mid-1940s um, when American soldiers were in Italy, and they didn't have a lot of money, they just had their rations. Um, they had spaghetti sometimes, um, and so they used that, and then they they had powdered eggs, and they had bacon, and they have liquid cream. And so they said, you know what, let's mix what we have. And boom, it became carbonara. And it spread throughout Rome, and then throughout Italy by 1950, and then uh, by the 60s it was all over the world. Yeah. Um, it's one of those dishes, though, that feels like it's it's been around forever. Yeah, especially with how simple it is, because that's the whole the whole part of me liking it is, you listen, I get home from work late, 9 o'clock, I want some pasta, I don't want to make sauce, I don't want jar sauce. What do I do? I take a little bit of bacon, throw that in the pan, <clears throat> take a little bit of garlic, and I do mine different, but I'll get into that. Garlic, throw that in the pan, and then you get some good... We use Locatelli, if you want to shout us out, just throw us a sponsor. Um, <laughs> we use, I use Locatelli cheese, and you grate it yourself, and then um, you actually use the hot, boiling pasta water to temper your eggs, and that's what makes it creamy. So not only is it very light, but the worst thing in this dish is the bacon. And it's, yeah. it's not full of cream, it's not full of butter, so it'll it, it's very, very filling, but it's very light. Which I, is, I like it a lot. And, I, and I'm not, and as people will find out listening to us talk about food week to week, I'm not somebody who likes creamy pasta dishes, really. Um, it has nothing to do with the healthiness of it. It's just my preference. Um, but th again, 
this is not like an Alfredo. No. Because Alfredo is never one of my favorite things. Even if it's a good Alfredo, and I've had good ones, I think we made it one time yep. together, and it was very good. Yep. But it's something that I would eat it once, and now I'm... I'm satiated for like six months. I don't need it for a, for a long time. I asked Anthony for the recipe after we ate tonight. I was like, I could make this any day of the week. Yeah. And even though there's bacon, again, I'm not somebody that eats a lot of unhealthy stuff, but I will make this dish. I would make it the way he made it multiple times a month. It's that good. So I'll, I'll give you guys a little breakdown on the Tell recipe. Tell me about this garlic. You said you do the garlic yes. different. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take, you know, your garlic. You're supposed to chop it up real thin, put a nice little dice on it, throw it in the pan with a little bit of olive oil, um, drain off the olive oil, and then you just kind of throw it in so it's going to add that garlicky flavor, right? Now, what I do is I'll reserve a little extra bacon fat. I always do the bacon first and then... I don't know if you guys, I'm assuming we've seen Goodfellas. You, I know you. That's you, my number one all it's time. My, my favorite too. So um, you cut, you get a razor blade you and you cut, the, you cut it real thin. Yes, sir. No, so uh, what I do is I like to slice my garlic super, super thin and I actually will almost fry it. Not almost, I fry it. You fry in it. The, in the bacon fat. And I do that because A, you could use a little bit more and it's not going to overpower the dish. But if you're eating something and you get a bite of the pasta and you get a bite of fried garlic, it almost. It has a candied flavor, and it's very strong, but it's not overpowering. And the great thing about garlic, which I'm sure a lot of people that cook that are listening know, is that it kind of infuses itself throughout the whole of the dish anyway. And so it's doing that as well, in addition to maybe if you love garlic like me or you, you get a nugget of it every now and then. Oh, it's the best. And like you said, it's got that. It's cooked, so it's sweeter. It's not as cutting it's and, not going to punch you in the face yeah right uh, it's a soft nipple caress if you will <laughs> hey yeah cut nips out for the boys today <laughs> i put my apron on with no shirt because that's just what we did yeah that's what we decided to do today you call it on some people call it unsanitary i call it chris after sabrina goes to bed <laughs> whatever uh yeah so like i said long story short with the uh with the recipe, um, your sauce is pretty simple. You take three eggs and one egg uh, egg yolk, um, and you're going to beat that. Um, I use that extra egg yolk. I think it makes it a little creamier. That's just my that's just my you know. Well, it's doing it. something to it. Yeah, that's that's what I do. Um, and then you take like I said, I like locatelli parmesan. Uh, I think we used uh, what did that we was today? pecorino. We used pecorino today. today. Fantastic. Um, and grate, grate, your, grate your cheese yourself, um, and you grate about a half a cup, and this is important, you need a lot of cheese. You grate that into a bowl and you mix that all together. I'm a big pepper guy, black pepper specifically, so I, I put a little extra black pepper in that uh, little sauce concoction, I guess. Um, and then you go ahead, and once you boil your pasta, once it's done cooking, you want to reserve about, probably about a cup, cup and a half of the pasta water. And what you do is, while the uh, after the pasta is draining and it's still hot in the colander, um, you take the pasta water and you just drizzle it into um, that mixture of the cheese and the uh, egg, and you're gonna stay whisking. And again, the near boiling water, what that does is it's gonna cook your eggs, but it's not gonna scramble the eggs. So think of like I'm trying to think like if you're making a quiche, 
how you don't want the quiche like it's not going to be eggs. So that's not when there's you, not going to be clumps no, of eggs. No, when people and if there yeah, is, then it's you wrong. did it wrong exactly. So don't think like an egg flavor. Think of it getting creamy because of the eggs, right? Right. It shouldn't. It shouldn't taste like eggs. And this particular one didn't at all. And I think I just wanted to touch on two things. And the first one is the black pepper. I know when I cook for my wife, she's not a, she's not a black pepper uh, lover at all. Um, uh, her family is very anti anything Season. spicy. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, and she would be the first to admit it. Uh, she grew up in a house where where if something had garlic in it, it was spicy. Oh, so okay. <laughs> sounds about white. right, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I've done a lot of work on her with her palate. palate. But still, the black pepper, it can be overpowering to her. But I think what it added to this in such a positive way, and I said it while I was eating it. I haven't had a lot of carbonaras in my life. Like I said, I don't like the creamy a lot. It wasn't that at all. The pepper added this this little sting, Aunt, mm -hmm. Aunt said to me. And it just tied everything together. It really makes a difference to have the black pepper in there. And sometimes pepper goes with salt as just a, an afterthought. The pepper, I think, was vital in this, and it would have dra dramatically changed the taste of it if it wasn't in there. And see, the only thing that I would have done different, and I do do different when I'm at my own house and I have my, my you know cabinets and such, um, I use super, super coarse pepper. Right. So you could see the speckles and stuff like that. Um, a, that would be my preference. Yes. A, too, you yeah. use a little less of it, so it's not as in your face, but it, it makes its presence known. Um, it's like a it's like a medium hard penis in a locker room, Chris. <laughs> you're not gonna stare at it. It's not gonna smack you in the face. But if you're going, uh, if you're going, if you're going to get in the shower, whoa, one not of those. Not the half job. <laughs> it's, a, it's an al dente. It's a semi. It's, it's a semi. It's a semi. <laughs> <laughs> And the other, the other big thing about, oh, uh-oh, oh, no, I'm too good at the segues. The other main point about, the, uh, make I feel like making this right is something I do when I make a lot of, when I garnish anything I make with Parmesan for Melissa, and it's something you did. I, I, I don't think we can understate the importance or overstate the importance of the fresh cheese. Yeah, that's another. The, the great you put on that pecorino romano tonight, Aunt, made the difference because, like you told me, I learned something new today, and it's wash your mm. bag cheese. Oh, yeah. your pre-shredded cheese. Absolutely. And so, if you use pre-shredded pecorino romano, a lot of the time it's grated and it's that gra uh, mm -hmm. it's grated. It's not even shredded, mm -hmm. um, and it's not going to melt the same. No, it, won't. it just won't melt the same. Yeah. And it, when it does, it'll be gelatinous and coagulated. Yeah, obviously you can't melt like shredded like pizza topping cheese or, or grated I'm sorry grated like pizza topping cheese but you anything shredded obviously there's like the anti-caking yeah that that helps um obviously it helps it from caking up in a bag and such but it also prevents it from melting cleanly so one thing you'll hear it throughout anything we do here um Grating your own cheese is super, super important. I mean, it melted immediately. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's the, the finer of a grater you use, um, I, it's pillowy. It's pillowy. So, like, right. the, the second, I mean, when, when you're making the sauce, for example, while you're whisking, usually you know that um, 
the eggs are tempered and they're safe to eat when the cheese melts and it's essentially thickens, right? Now, the cheese melted almost instantly because of how pillowy it was. And that, again, that's good cheese. That's the Locatelli cheese. Um, Locatelli, if you're listening, throw us a sponsor. Um, sponsor. <laughs> but again, that's, you know, your Locatelli cheese. That's your just quality ingredients and taking care of them and doing it the right way. So right. um, that's another thing. And Chris, I have to give it to you and got to give it to Grammy. Uh, I think... Yes, the dish was good. It would have been good with Barilla out of the box, but the pasta you put together, we put together, was sensational, and that's Grammy's recipe, and that's the, her, her the, way of doing it. The The pasta was... A, a, it made the dish. Yeah. And you, you, you were the main maker of it today. Last time I was the main uh, catalyst behind it. This time you made it. I think every time we've made it, with the exception of that one disastrous ravioli incident, we'll redeem our. That's that's that'll be our first live episode. We'll redeem ourselves with ravioli. We will do. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, it's gotten better every time, and today was no different. It, I mean, we put it on a seven for the pasta maker. It was almost. If if you guys can picture the consistency of top ramen ramen noodles, it was thinner than that. I, I've <laughs> never I've never been able almost to vermicelli. It was almost vermicelli. Yeah, I've never been able to homemade use that that final setting, that real thin yeah. spaghetti setting, and we did it with ease. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the pasta tonight, so it was fantastic. So I thank you with that, Chris. And uh, on that note, let's um, let's take a time here, take a little break, and the next time you guys hear us, we'll be talking sports. See you in a bit. This episode brought to you by. Sabrina Walker. Okay, so let's uh, transition in, right? Uh, you've heard us talk about our delicious dinner as Chris plays with some. I'm playing with Legos. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here we go. We're so at my uh, house today. let's get to let's get to some sports talk today. Uh, Chris, let's start with the NHL and the trading deadline. I feel like this is going to be a common theme with this pod, as you call it. This is the pod. Uh, we're going to start with the NHL a lot, right? But we had a lot of trades. Um, yes, we're going to talk about uh, our teams and what the trade deadline means for our teams, minus the Islanders, Ants is the Wild going forward. But in general, there were there were a lot of moves this deadline. And having followed the NHL really closely since I was about 10 years old, this is... This is one of the more active trade deadlines that I've experienced. Um, and not just from my team. Even though the Islanders did make a big splash uh, in Bo Horvat, um, it really wasn't about them. It was about... I have I feel two teams, mainly. It was about the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were involved in almost every deal. Every, every you know, bigger deal whether it was giving picks away to get a, a, a player uh, or even getting some picks in their in their uh, trades, and then it was the Rangers. Uh, uh, and the, the one with the Rangers is one we said that might not happen yeah. in Patrick Kane. If you listen to the last, if you listen to the last episode, yep. episode one, we said, uh, I believe we said exactly if, if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Well, it happened the, the day, it's happened less than 12 hours after we recorded Yes, that. and... And I think 
the the key there was that well, I know the key there was that the Rangers were looking for a third party uh, to to take on some of Patrick Kane's large contract, and they found the Arizona Coyote, Coyotes, who always kind of just uh, pitter patter around uh, of mediocrity. Uh, they just do. I'm just gonna say it. Uh, they found the Coyotes who were willing to take on. I believe it was 25 percent of his salary. Yeah. And that was the only way that it would fit within the Rangers' salary cap, which is incredibly high. <laughs> They're right at the ceiling. They've got all these star players now. I mean, you've got six off the top. Yeah. You've got Shesterkin, Adam Fox, uh, Tarasenko, Panarin, Kane, and Zibanejad. That's six superstar <laughs> players. And what we've seen from that, the aftermath of that trade is Gerard Gallant, the Rangers' head coach, coming out yesterday after the Rangers' 4-2 loss to the Bruins and saying about uh, Panarin and Kane, they're passing the puck too much. There's already criticism from the head coach. And it's something that I really harped on when anybody asked me, the principal of the school I teach at, <laughs> was a Rangers fan, a, a casual Rangers fan, but still a, a hockey fan in general. He said, Chris, what? What are what are the Rangers going to do? Are they going to win the cup now? They got all these guys. And I said, "Listen, their four top forwards who I just mentioned a minute ago are all kind of the same guy." And it could pose a problem. And two games after the Kane deal, the Rangers lost 5-3 to Ottawa, who is let's not call them a bad team. They're not a bad team. They are with games in hand. Less than five points out of a playoff spot. Today. And they just got um they just got chicken. Right. They just added a great defenseman. They are a team that's in the hunt. That's a team as an Islanders fan I'm worried about. And then they lost four to two to Boston, who's on a ten game winning streak and nobody's beating them. Yeah. They have hundred and three points right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But still, Gerard Gallant came out and said, Ant, they're passing the puck too much. And I'm not surprised. No, I don't. I don't. It doesn't surprise me either because there's a lot of, there's no defined. Okay, I'm gonna go get a goal. There's no who's who of. Okay, this is the guy that's gonna get the puck and he's gonna pass it to this guy and this guy's gonna shoot it in. And it's always. I mean, that was the most elementary description of hockey I could have ever given. And, right. Uh, but that's sincerely. You look at all these teams that are doing well that could make a playoff push, and I'm gonna use Minnesota. How does Minnesota score a goal? Well, usually Zuccarello gets the puck. They spin it around. They have a lot of time in their offensive zone. Zuccarello finds Kirill Kaprizov. Kaprizov puts it in the goal. That's how, that's, that's the, 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 uh, the formula. That's the formula with Dreisaitl and McDavid exactly. in Edmonton. Um, it's something, as an Isles fan, I'm happy to see Bo Horvat doing. Mm. I know Barzell's been injured since two games into uh, Horvat's stint as an Islander, but that's the thought process there. Barzal to Horvat. The Rangers have Tarasenko. Vladimir Tarasenko is a guy who shoots the puck. He's the goal scorer, yeah. right? He's not the same young player he was in the beginning of his Blues no. career. You have Kane and you have Panarin, who played so well together in Chicago during Panarin's first couple of seasons in the NHL. Mm -hmm. But both of those guys are playmakers. Yes, they score goals. They're very talented. They can score huge goals when needed. But they're not known 
as goal, goal scorers, scorers like Ovechkin is. Yeah. Or, you know, or McDavid yep. or some of these other guys, Kaprizov, as we're starting to see. They're playmakers. And Mika Zibanejad is the same way. He's an unbelievable, elite, superstar playmaker. But you've got all these playmakers, and Tarasenko's your goal scorer right now, and he's done the goal scoring, but it's not enough. And it's one of those things, too, where it's not like they don't have the skill set. Like Mika, I mean, there's games where he's in a four-goal game at one point. Yes. Like, he can do it. I think it's just somebody needs to rise up and realize, hey, there's too many playmakers. We need a goal scorer, and Tarasenko's not that guy. Um, or, I mean, he can be that guy, just he's not that main guy. He's not your first line, we need five goals, right. let, you know, throw this line out, you know? I, I And again, the Rangers have other real good skill guys. Their top six is, is up against Boston. I think they've got, them, Boston, and Tampa have two of the best top sixes oh, in yeah. hockey, uh, three of the best top oh, sixes yeah. uh, in hockey. There's no arguing that, but that's only how it looks on paper, Ant. And... And what happens so many times in the NHL, I've seen, especially over the past five or six years, is that teams load up at the deadline like the Rangers have, um, and it just kind of comes crashing down on them in the playoffs. And I don't think anybody's doubting the Rangers making the playoffs. They are, they're on a bit of a slide right now, mm-hmm. but I, they're seven points ahead of the Islanders. Uh, they're eight points ahead of the Penguins, and then they're 13 points ahead of the next team out uh, of a playoff spot. Yeah, no, they're they're going to make the playoffs, but when they get in, is is what they have o- enough? It happened to Columbus. Mm-hmm. Columbus loaded up a few years ago on big name guys and fell flat. Yeah, I mean the the whole thing. I mean, we were talking about it obviously off microphone, but we were talking about it before that. I have a regular that comes into work, Angelo. Shout out, Angelo. Again, I shouted him out last episode. We were talking about how, you know, playoff hockey is one. And playoff hockey, it's not these seven to two games. It's the one nothings. It's the two to ones. It's the three to twos. So it's games like that. And when you load up on offense or playmakers like like the Rangers did, I don't see that translating well. It's the money. I mean, it's the money ball effect of hockey. Yes. You're going to win 110 games in the MLB, but... I mean, you're going to come out and you're not, you're, it's not going to sustain you for playoff success. You need, realistically, how you win the cup is great defense and I don't want to say lucky, lucky goals. You need a timely goal and, timely you, need to shut, and you need to shut your opponent down. Now, we said, we had a phone call yesterday. Yeah. We were on the phone talking about this. They were like, save for the pod. Yeah. <laughs> and, All right, we saved it for the pod. But you Aunt, brought up a really great, uh, Not analogy, but you brought up two teams, and it happens to be our two teams. And the more I thought about what I'm going to say that you said, the more I thought it was true. And you told me yesterday on the phone that the Islanders and the Wild, the way they play the game and the way their teams are built, both of those teams could make a long run in the playoffs. And the more I thought about it yesterday, I really sat with it. And I did think I was late at night. I was I was scrolling. I was doing Duolingo, doing my Italian I lessons. Doing, I was doing my Greek. All right. <laughs> we're, hey, we're, we're doing our best here. Uh, my, my wife had on uh, Why Women Kill. I might be, need to be worried. Uh, but anyway, I, I really was genuinely thinking. And I was like, you know what? He was right. Both of these teams are built to last. 
and built for the playoffs. And both teams are playing really well when it matters most. Yeah, we were. I mean, we watched the. We didn't watch it together when Minnesota played um, the Islanders. Right on Tuesday. We were. Yeah, we were on the phone the whole time. Um, but that felt like a playoff game. Absolutely. And it was a two to one game in a shootout. In a shootout, exactly. And it would have yeah. ended in a shootout if it was the playoffs. Maybe the Islanders would have had a better result. <laughs> They're zero and five in shootouts this season, and they are three for their last forty-four. <laughs> Going back to last season wow. in shootouts. Wow. Yeah, but, but anyway. regardless, regardless, right? So my whole thing is obviously I'm big on defense and this and that, and it's how you're going to win the cup, obviously, when you get there. But def- great defenders, defenders that can score. But more more than that is defenders that play defense, defenders that check, defenders that are going to they're gonna wall off, they're going to not let you get to the goal. Like, that's right. the whole point. Um, and... Minnesota talking about you know going back to Minnesota talking about the trade deadline. Uh-huh. Oh, Minnesota boy. added they were the last trade, so it was at the buzzer. They added Klingberg from Anaheim, and they John didn't Klingberg. and they didn't give up much. They gave up some IH, uh, I, IHL. They gave up some Iowa guys. Is why I had I in my head. Um, they ain't the AHL affiliate. Yeah, and a, and a and a fourth round pick to um, Anaheim. But you look at their defensive pairings, and their first pairing is Middleton and Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon's on the power play unit. He's our captain. Uh, the, I mean, not the power play unit. I'm sorry. The first overtime unit. Because he's a great two-way defenseman. He oh, absolutely. Score. He plays great defense. He's a guy you everybody's worried about. Yeah. When, especially yeah. in overtime. Now, he's not seen as, oh, he's only playing defense. You get to your second line, and it's Goligoski and Dumba. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's that's one word to describe that is physicality right off the bat. Goligoski obviously was with um, St. Louis when they went on their cup run. Yep, and, and with then, the Penguins. Yeah, yeah, that's for right. a long for a long while in the Pens. And then Matt Dumba has been our notorious defensive defenseman. Those are two strong defenders. And your third defensive pairing is John Merrill and John Klingberg. <laughs> that's deep. That's, that's, I mean, if Klingberg is on your third D pair, and then. Again, you are in business, and and it lends itself to a deep playoff run, like you said. And they seemingly, the Wild, have, not seemingly, they have figured out their goaltending recipe, at least right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll go, I'll go back to the game on Tuesday against the Islanders. It turned, and Brendan Burke, the Islanders uh, play-by-play announcer, said it before the game, right, as before they dropped the puck. He goes... Two of the NHL's best facing off in goal. Yeah. There's no doubt that Sorokin is one of the NHL's best. He's proven that for the past few seasons since he's come into the league. And Gustafson uh, has just been incredible. To the surprise of everybody. I mean, the game he put up against the Islanders. First of all, he's let in two. He let in two goals <laughs> total against the Islanders this season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he, again, he won another. Close game against the Islanders. It was 1-1 after overtime. But you look at the way the Islanders defend, too. If I'm going to be honest with you, it was one of the most boring hockey games for hockey fans. Yeah. If you want to get introduced to hockey, you should not have watched that game no. as your first game. It watch, been, watch the Boston Bruins. Right. It would have been brutal because it was so defensive. Now, if you look at the Islanders, why Ant said what he said on the phone to me yesterday, they have... Uh, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock, mm-hmm. um, which are two of the NHL's best, um, and they're paired together. You have Noah Dobson, who's had a real breakout year offensively. He has 12 goals 
on the season, which all right, maybe doesn't seem like a lot, but as a defenseman, 12 goals is absolutely respectable. Yeah. It's Rodney a career high. One. <laughs> there you go. Right. There you go. You have Noah Dobson and Sebastian Ajo. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian Ajo is not the biggest dude, but he's really come along this season. Oh, do we have a visitor? Is it Sabrina in her playroom? Hi, Savvy. And then you have Scott Mayfield and a roving sixth defenseman. The sixth defenseman for the Islanders this season has been kind of a wishy-washy back-and-forth thing as Sabrina cries. And the dogs. The dogs are about to turn our podcast off. I don't know why my (laughs) wife brought her in here. There's toys going off. It's a it's a catastrophe. This is a catastrophe. What did you do? It's the mouse again. <laughs> she ventured over into the pot in. <laughs> she um, found her way. She found uh, her way out of WXCI. Out of WXCI <laughs> and into the pod. Sabrina. But anyway, the Islanders have a a six defenseman situation where they're always able to change up a guy. Um, it was Parker. It was Parker Watherspoon for a while, um, but but most of the time it's been uh, Scott Mayfield paired with Aho on the third line, and then another guy goes up to the second. But anyway, uh, hi. There's yes, Sabrina Rose, everybody. Yes, Sabrina. Podcasts have this. Po- yeah, they all do. Anything goes. They all do. Um, but anyway, the Islanders have, again, one of the best defense cores in the league, too. And they both showed it. They're ready for a deep run in. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this is going to be my this is going to be my first bold prediction uh, on this on this pod. Say it. I think if the New York Islanders draw the Boston Bruins, they're going to win the series, as in the Islanders. Thank you. I really, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and not just as a fan. Looking at this from a neutral standpoint, I I think the Islanders take it. It's Benji, my other dog. Everybody's visiting. He might scream. You might hear a Benny scream. His nickname is Benjamin. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's only six. It's um, only, or four. Or four or eight, <laughs> maybe ten. Um I think the Islanders take it in six if they, they match up. The way it stands right now, the Islanders would face the Hurricanes. And if they were to face the Hurricanes in the first round, they're going to get thumped. Oh, yeah. And I would, oh, <laughs> that yeah. would be a oh, get your brooms out situation. <laughs> uh, but if they play the Bruins, I think they win the series. Uh, and I don't think you're the only one that thinks it. Reading socials uh, the past few days. A lot of people are on the Boston gets beat in the first round uh, bandwagon, whether it's by the Penguins, the Senators, Buffalo, or the Islanders, whichever two of those four teams end up playing them. Yeah, I just Boston is Boston's playing flashy hockey right now. Boston scoring seven goals a night. Uh, I mean, the, the game against Buffalo a few nights ago, what was it? Four to one. It was four to one. Four to one. Buffalo pulls their goalie. Boston scores two more. Buffalo puts their goalie back in. Boston scored another And one. seven ones are fine. Yeah. Like, this, again, it, it reminds me so much of the Tampa Bay Lightning from a few seasons ago, Ant, where they where they almost beat the record of, of games won in the yeah. season, which is still 62. Uh, I believe they tied the record. Uh, Boston has a chance to do it. The Lightning got bounced in four games by the Blue Jackets that season. That's when the tweet went out. I don't know if you ever saw this, but the Lightning tweeted, 
we don't have any answers, and we sure we sure know you don't either. Um, we don't know what to say. Thank you for sticking with us all season. It was just such a shock because this was a super mega team, um, and and they just fell flat. And I think it could happen to the Bruins. Uh, they have stellar goaltending. They have unbelievable talent up front and on defense. But these things happen. That's the way it goes. Now. Again, now we we've seen it, especially when he was with Buffalo. Is Linus Allmark, is he legit or is his defense just that good? Well, his last season, I'm a goalie. Okay, I'm that's a, why I'm, I'm asking I'm you. I'm on the goalie that's train. That's why I'm asking you. And I always usually have goalies back backs. Um, his last season in Buffalo was very good, despite having a bad record. Um, he had pretty good numbers. And I think what what ended up happening with Omar is he went this past off season because he had a good end of the season last year with Jeremy Swayman, uh, who were kind of the one and two there uh, in Boston. He went this off season and he retooled his game. So in the beginning of the season, or in the beginning of his career, I should say, when he was on Buffalo, uh, Linus Omar was. A guy that, he's not the tallest, but he played a real tall game. He played like a lot of tall European goalies do when they come come over. Um, you see that with guys like Uka Pekalukanen, who is the Sabres goalie mm-hmm. that's getting the bulk of the action with Craig yeah. Anderson as the 1B right now. The vet, the uh, over 40 vet. Shout out Craig Anderson. I know he's not listening, but I love him. As a goalie, I, I love that guy. Um, he plays a real tall. He played a real tall, uh, boxy goaltending style. He reinvented it. He's playing a lot like Carey Price. Um, he's playing a lot like Mark Andre Fleury in his prime. Uh, he's playing a lot like I know he's not as great, but Semyon Varlamov. He's playing a much smaller, more efficient. Style. I think if you talk about Carey Price, you talk about efficiency in the net, and that's what he does. Uh, he moves very efficiently, and that's what Allmark has done. There's not a lot of movement. Now, see, I bring this up because we were talking about, obviously, Allmark. You mentioned Swayman. Swayman is having a great season Absolutely. as well. So when you look at it, you know, you have, okay, we could have two great goalies. That's a 100% a possibility. But now let's think of the, the duality, I'm going to bring it back to Minnesota because that's what I know because I watch all their games. You have a guy like Gustafson, and Gustafson is, is playing great. He's, I mean, he's statistically, he's behind Allmark in almost every category. He's behind only Allmark. Yeah, and then you have, that's, yeah, that's what I meant. And then you have Marc-Andre Fleury, who's playing with the same defensive pairings. He's playing the same teams, and Fleury looks, he looks like he's a colander. I hate. I cannot believe I just said that about one of the greatest oh, of all time. Man. I've got a. I've got a good thing to say about that. I've got goalies or teams play differently in front of different goalies. And as, from playing, I know mm-hmm. this. Um, when I played in college, my sophomore year, because my junior and senior years got cut short uh, because the team folded <laughs> for a few years. <laughs> That's a different story. A different pod. Uh, but anyway, um, my team would hang me out to dry a lot more than the other goalie uh, than the, that split time with me um, because I came up with a lot of acrobatic saves. I'm very flexible. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the other goalie on our team was very, he, he was a bigger guy, but he was a little bit, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but he was a little bit more clumsy. Okay. Uh, he was just kind of big, too big for his britches, I guess. And, and he just kind of got bunched up. And so the team played harder defense in front of him, and he won more games than me as a result. Uh, and he saw less shots I, by a large margin. It was a huge difference. In, in shots against and almost the same amount of games played. So goalies play, or defense plays different in front of their goalies. Um, back to the Swayman thing, though, and Olmark, I know that Swayman's going to get at least a start. Yeah. And if I'm wrong about that, you can hold me to it right here. But I know Jeremy Swayman's going to get a start. It's happening more and more in hockey. Is it doesn't matter who your starter in the playoffs in the beginning is. The other goalie is always going to make a start. Yes. It's bound to happen. Yeah. Now, speaking of goalies, this is going to be a, a nice little turn. Um, as well as the trade deadline. Let's give uh, oh <laughs> you know where this is going. Let's hear, because we're both from Connecticut, shout, yes. out, shout out to CT. Shout out to CT Hockey. Um, Jonathan Quick. Mm. Now, what do we think about that situation? Wow. Listen, that that was one that nobody, well, not nobody. Most people didn't see it coming. Everybody in the outside world like us did not see that coming. Um, Jonathan Quick got traded to the Columbus <laughs> Columbus <laughs> the Columbus Blue Jackets from the the LA Kings who are going to be in the playoffs this year. Yep. To the worst team in the Metropolitan Division. And that's saying a lot because that division is incredibly good. If the Islanders are the second worst team in the division and in the playoff spot, that's uh, saying something. Um, got traded to the worst team. A very bad team in Columbus. They're tanking for Bedard. Um, and then... <laughs> hold on! And then he gets traded to Vegas. Who... If you're a Kings fan, <laughs> you're like, no, no, anything but that. You hate Vegas if you're a Kings fan. They're rivals now. Um, and Quickie is a Golden Knight now. And you've got Logan Thompson. And you've got Jonathan Quick. And you were supposed to have my friend, well, not my friend, but my, my <laughs> hero, Robin Leonard. Uh, he resurrected the Islanders in a lot of ways. But anyway, um, He's out for the season. He had surgery. But you have Logan Thompson and you have Jonathan Quick as your backup. Jonathan Quick has had a, a statistically poor season. He is older than he once was. He's kind of on the same track as Flurry, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. He had his prime. Quick had his prime in the early 2010s. And he was, I mean, he was untouchable in his prime. Oh, you, you didn't want to play no. against him. He, <laughs> he you, as an Islanders fan. You never saw you never saw Quick play against the Islanders because they always put their backup in whoever it might have been Yutaka Fukafuji or somebody, uh, some backup. But anyway, um, he has the ability to win a game though. Still, oh, yeah. and come playoff time, Vegas is gonna use him because I'm telling you right now, Logan Thompson is not proven in the playoffs. This guy almost gave up hockey a few years ago. He's had a great season, <laughs> a phenomenal season. 
But Jonathan Quick is going to be utilized in these playoffs and down the stretch in the regular season. And don't count him out yet because he can clutch up and win huge games still. And now I'm already, see, you bringing Jonathan Quick up, I'm getting ready to type out my Marc-Andre Fleury apology letter for calling him wash and this and that because let's not remember, let's not forget, excuse me, uh, Phil Gustafson has never played the playoff game. We talked about it last pod. <laughs> and Mark. And Marc-Andre Fleury, is, he is the playoff goalie. There's a reason why, there's a reason why he's still on this team, uh, Fleury. There's a reason why he's still getting games, despite his mediocre by his standards record and save percentage and goals against, which, let's face it, is not good no. this season. Again, playoff-wise, he's proven himself. He's had a lot of issues in the playoffs, and he's had a lot of success in the playoffs. He's either hot or cold. Mm -hmm. Listen, he's going to get called on in the playoffs, Ant. Oh, and yeah. and he has the ability to play great games. Let's hope if they if somehow they face the Islanders in the finals, play Flurry every <laughs> game so we can score seven. Because he does not play the Islanders well at all. But other than that, man, he's a guy you want on your team come this time of year. This oh, yeah. is crunch time. This is the most fun hockey besides playoffs. Dude, yesterday, 12.30. Picture this. My daughter's taking a nap. A nap. She's drifted off to sleep on a Saturday afternoon. I put the game on my phone while I'm cleaning the kitchen. I'm cleaning my kitchen, and I'm like, mmm, staring at my phone. <laughs> I was like... I was so nervous watching the game because of how much it means. And I and I remember thinking during, I forget what part of the game, definitely before the Islanders blew the doors off the game, uh, but when it was 0-0 for a while, I was like, man, as frustrating and as nerve-wracking as this is, I, this is, this is the hockey, this is hockey I live this for. Is this is what I want to yeah. feel. I don't want to feel out of the playoffs. I want to be nervous, and I want to be on the edge of my seat, biting my tongue, waiting for something to happen. <laughs> and that's what I, I, I can agree, and, and Minnesota is giving me that too, because we might end up over the stars. We're a point back at this point, two points back. Well, the Wild can either end up out of the playoffs or winning the division. <laughs> yeah. That's a very tight division they're in. Yeah, uh, but yeah. All right, we're, we're at about 30 minutes in, in on the hockey talk. Let's go over some of the bigger trades real quick, and then we'll, we'll, do, a, uh, we'll do a quick – oh, yeah, we can, we can go all night – um, we'll do uh, some of the bigger trades, and then we'll we'll transition into my forte. We'll get to some baseball, some football. Um, obviously, we have the trades we already talked about. I'm reading these off my phone, so excuse me if I'm not if I'm not as smooth as as these other places. Uh, Carolina getting Gosh Spear from Arizona. That's big. Um, but we were saying that defense is going to win you the championship. Yeah, he's a he's a guy that can yeah. score a lot of goals yeah. on defense. Uh, Chikrin to Ottawa. We we mm -hmm. talked about that. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, under the radar one. Um, Pittsburgh got Grandland from Nashville. Um, Grandland was a part of my Minnesota Wild. And yes, he scored a lot of good goals. Well, this one it just irks me because they're the best team in the league. But Boston getting Bertuzzi from the Red Wings. Boston made a lot of good moves. <laughs> they made, they made so a lot of many good, moves. good moves. Oh, it's terrible. Um, we talked about uh, Jonathan Quick. Um, also, a quick note: the Islanders also got Pierre Engvall yes. from the Maple Leafs, 
And in his first game uh, yesterday against Detroit, he was very noticeable. He was playing top six minutes yesterday. Um, he's a six foot five forward. Um, the Islanders don't have the strongest forwards. We know that. Um, he's going to really help them. And that was a great move by um, Lou Lamorello uh, to bolster their front six. Another uh, another trade that could be big is Dallas. They went out and uh, they got Max Domi and Dylan Wells from Chicago for Q, um, Qdobin in the second round pick. And that's, again, good because Hudobin has not really played in no. the NHL this season. He's been their AHL goalie. He's at the end of his career. Well-respected guy in the league. Been to a final. He's had some huge seasons. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Dallas Dallas is in it to win it this oh, yeah. year, too. Um, what else do we have? Pittsburgh ends up getting uh, Nick Benino. That was wonderful. <laughs> you know? Um, Back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Second stint there. Yeah. Um, Speaking of second stints, Minnesota got um, oh I can't think of it right now. They're uh, they just brought him back from Washington. I'm blanking on his Johansson. name. Johansson. Yes, Marcus Johansson. He had what was supposed to be a goal last night, but they um, they reviewed it and it went in before it hit his stick. So they took his first return goal to Minnesota away. That's a great um, <laughs> bottom six bolstering a, move a, for the yeah. Wild. I, yeah. I love Johansson. He's an Islander killer. I've seen him a lot. Now, Johansson replaces the one player yeah. I did not want traded. Well, As a Boston College guy, um, I love the BC Eagles. Shout out Mir, my, my, my guy Mir. If he ever listens to this, he went to BC. Great guy. Uh, I think he's going to be a surgeon, something like that. But super proud of you. Always uh, been friends since like kindergarten. Wow. But yeah, regardless, regardless, let's let's transfer. Uh, let's get back to Jordan Greenway. Uh, Jordan Greenway goes to Buffalo, and Buffalo has the the biggest line I've ever seen in my life. The line combination. Buffalo is going to be a problem. As an Islanders fan, Buffalo is an issue. Buffalo is rolling right now. Yeah. The Islanders actually play them on Tuesday. That's the biggest game of the season right there uh, for both of those teams, right? Buffalo is on the outside looking in mm-hmm. with games in hand. This is the game in hand the Islanders need to win, and Buffalo needs to win. Um, they're rolling. They're either getting beat badly or they're winning big. Yeah. yeah. And so they have that huge line, like you said, Ant. Tage Thompson, shout out UConn. He's uh, he's up there, six what six four six five. Tage Thompson's huge. Forty six, yeah. forty two. What is it? Forty three goals. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. And, and his father, Brent Thompson, is the uh, coach of the Bridgeport Islanders. His son plays. Uh, the his younger brother plays on the on that team as well. I think. Yes, Tage Thompson, who also went to UConn. Um, but okay, that's uh, that's good for hockey talk. Yeah. You We're better. about thirty-three minutes. Let's yeah, let's transition over into we'll do some uh, we'll do some baseball. It's, it's going to be the same thing you heard on the previous episode. Uh, Yankees need to play these young guys. Dominguez is mashing. Volpe is mashing. Um, Hicks does not look good. IKF already making errors to make Garrett Cole throw more pitches. Um, there has to be a line in the sand that you draw when you're the New York Yankees, and you have to realize. Hugging these prospects and not letting them play is not going to do anything to them. It kills their he value. said it last week and we'll say it again. I'm going to say it for the rest of the season because I know Volpe won't be up. But one thing that I do like that the MLB added, I don't know if you saw this in the rule changes, um, no matter how many games uh, a player plays, if he finishes, I believe, first or second, first, second, or third, I believe, in the rookie of the year voting, it's a full year of service time regardless. 
So if you have that much faith in Anthony Volpe where you think he's going to win Rookie of the Year, get him up at opening day. But who cares anyway? A, that's the same thing. Is right? You could always you can send these guys back down. I know Volpe hasn't. I mean, if he if he goes out for twenty one, you can send him back down. And it's not the end of the. It's not the end of his. You know, it's not the end of his career. Start it out. See if he could bring some juice to this team. A, a guy like Andre Shaparo, the third baseman. I mean, he's hitting moonshots. Um, start him over Donaldson. Who cares? Mm, We're at the point where her. the issue. Now I say this all the time. The issue with the Yankees. And, you know, I'm just some Joe Schmo sitting in a chair in the playroom right not now. Not for long. Not, not long. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but the Yankees, I, I never feel like they're okay with winning. They're always more okay. They don't want to just win. They want to win their way. They want to win with IKF at shortstop and Donaldson at third. And hitting 10 home runs a game. That's the, that's the issue is a win is never good enough. It's they want to win. In my mind, it's just Cashman can't be wrong. If, if Cashman trades IKF away or DFA's Donaldson or Hicks or whatever, I don't think he can admit, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have never given this guy the contract. And fans are not going to say, uh, well, they will. They'll <laughs> say, ah, ah, you, ah, that's on you, Cashman. Ah, look what happens now. You DFA'd him. But what does it matter? But it doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. It, Who cares what we say? Yeah, exactly. No, it doesn't no, matter. Nothing matters. Um, Another thing uh, that I want to get into, like I said, it's only spring training baseball, so we're not going to get too in-depth. Um, the Red Sox pulling the absolute ultimate scumbag move to start. Um, they have employed an outfield shift on Joey Gallo. They moved their left fielder to where the second baseman would stand in short right field. Um, it's, it's I'm going to call it bullshit right right off the bat. It's, it's garbage. Terrible. It's garbage. It's them getting away, getting around the shift. It's stupid. You're not going to hear a no. lot of positive, positive Red Sox no. talk out of this pod. I'm just letting you know. There's one one thing I do have to say. Shout out Alex Verdugo. He's a great guy. Um, I was at the game where, uh, it was to believe two seasons ago, where uh, I don't know if you guys remember when the, the guy threw the baseball at Verdugo and he hit him and he jumped up in the stands. Yes. I was at the game before that or after that, one or the other. And um, I sat first row in left field and I talked shit with Alex Verdugo for nine innings and it was hilarious. He turned around and, you know, we were bantering back and forth and it was cool. So as much as I want to hate him, I can't for right now. So I guess, you know, shout out Alex Verdugo if I have to shout one of them out. But <laughs> one of them. One of those professional <laughs> one of those, baseball players. One of those. So, uh, real quick, let's hit on my favorite sport, some NFL news, some NFL Combine news. Today is, this is uh, they just they just finished up the offensive linemen and the running backs today. But, Chris, one thing I want to ask is 40-yard dashes, obviously always important. Yes. They show straight-line speed. Maryland had two cornerbacks, Ja'Korian Bennett mm -hmm. and Deontay Banks, both of them ran. Jacorian Bennett ran a four three, and Deontay Banks ran a four three five. How is Maryland not better? That's the first question. Obviously, <laughs> speed isn't going to translate. That's the joke. But you have your two corners are coming out, and they're going to show that they are incredibly fast, right? Um, I think that's going to four three. Yeah, that's going to. Somebody ran a four two five. Four two five. Four two six oh. official. That was DJ Turner corner on a Michigan. Yes, that's right. I did see that. 
and I, and 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 there you go. There's my combine. I did see that. Yeah, you go. I was like, I mean, just watching him him run that, and they said it when they uh, whoever was on the call for that, they were like, oh, this guy's fast. Oh yeah. Like you know, yeah. I mean, a four two six. Yeah, that's fast. That's fast. I remember watching John Ross um, when he ran his, and he shot up draft boards. Um, and uh, fun fun fact about draft boards is if you guys follow us on sh- social medias, we'll plug it after um, when we have everything you know you know up and running. Um, there's some some mock draft stuff I want to go over, and it's pretty cool. I think you guys will like a lot. But nonetheless, uh, let's talk about some bench press. And again, Big Blue showing out. Mozzie Smith, 34 reps. Of 225. Now I have to find it. Uh, I have. I I go to the gym almost every day. Yep. And I haven't even ever done one at 225. So going into college, I think I did. Uh, I did like seven or eight going into 225. It, 225. And now, and now, if you, and if you know us, if you look at us, uh, you would believe that that's much more <laughs> believable, and that's good because Aunt is a is a much larger individual that can lift, uh, move a lot more weight than me. Uh, but 34 reps of 225, if you lift or know anything about the gym, that's universal. That's not just football. That's, that's, a, that's, wow. No, Chris. 34. No, Chris, 34, that's impressive, right? Okay. Let me get some, uh, let me get my, what I wanted to bring, why I started talking about bench press. I have to do a quick Google search. Um, there is a specialist, and uh, he is a punter. His name is Michael Turk. Okay. I cannot remember where he came. Arizona State. I lied. Um, This was two seasons ago. Michael Turk put up 25 reps on the bench press at 225. The punter. Not the punter. What that means is Michael Turk would have had more reps than one of the top edges in this class in Miles Murphy. So that's one of that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest you know workouts don't mean everything that you can see um, but those are those are just some of the workouts. Now on field drills, I was very 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 impressed by all of the quarterbacks as a struggling very upset Carolina Panthers fan. They need a quarterback, um, and at this point, I'm happy with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. Take one of the four, let Frank Reich do his thing, and uh, I'll be happy with it. But uh, again, like I said, we'll we'll get more in depth on football when draft season. I got a on. question though for you. Answer. I've got a football What's question, up? an opinion. Okay. So I'm not a Giants fan. I don't have a favorite NFL team, right? But I follow it enough. A bunch of my friends, my buddies, are talking about this whole Daniel Jones situation. Okay. We're getting close to where they have to franchise tag. Yep. Right? And the Giants have reportedly or allegedly offered him, what, somewhere in the mid-30 million? Mid-30s, he wants 45. He wants 45 million a year. Now, my friends who are Giants fans are all... Saying if that happens, there they would they would not want to be Giants fans. Okay, so let me here. Let me. I, I I'm not even gonna let you answer your question. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get real close to the mic. No, here. I want you to. No, I know. I'm not even gonna let you ask it. I'm gonna get real close to the mic here. <laughs> He's caressing. The mic. Make sure we're not. No, that's not what this thing. 
the New York Giants are not good. No, they were not good last year. Them making the playoffs and winning a playoff game was the worst thing that could have happened. I had to coddle you Giants fans because all of you that I know are delusional, especially you Brian Wyckoff, I know you're listening. <laughs> you people are delusional. Now, I will take a step back and I will explain why I said what I just said. The New York Giants, they have a running back whose contract has expired. They have a quarterback whose contract has expired. They have a top tier, top two, we'll say, defensive tackle in Dexter Lawrence, who is on his fifth-year option looking to get extended. They have no skill positions. They have no offensive line. They have, aside from their defensive line, they have a very subpar defense, and they have a pick in the 20s. This is a extremely weak wide receiver class when it comes to free agency. Juju leads it off, and he's no slouch, but he's not a number one. We've seen that. Um, the Giants not having capital to go draft a quarterback or to trade up for one of these big four quarterbacks, uh, if they miss Daniel Jones, is bad. Um, but again, if they go out and they pay him this $45 million a year, you have to realize they're probably losing out on Saquon. He's probably gone. They're probably eventually going to lose out on Dexter Lawrence because Dexter Lawrence is going to want a lot of money and he deserves it. But the biggest issue with the Giants is they were they they extremely overachieved this season, and yes, they got a playoff win. They got back in. Uh, Brian Dable's a great coach, very good coach. But where do you go from here? You know, they have to retool, and it's going to either cost them a lot of money, and we saw what happened last time when they paid Olivier Vernon, they paid Jackrabbit Jenkins, and I believe they brought in Alec Ogletree from the Rams. That was a big bust, and it put them in Nate Solder. I think they're still paying for Nate Solder. Um, that was, it was bad. Um, and the Giants, they're not, they don't have a good young core. They don't have a lot of money to go out and spend. So I, I think realistically, now if I'm, let me put on my general manager hat here. If I have to be the general manager of the Giants, I'm as much as my as much as my fan base isn't going to like it. I'm paying Daniel Jones because quarterbacks, you know, quarterbacks aren't a dime a dozen like running backs. Granted, Saquon is a great talent, but you've seen it with Tennessee uh, when Derrick Henry goes down. When you have a good running game and not a good running back, there's a big difference. Um, Tennessee has a great running game, so Hassan Haskins can fill in and run for close to a thousand yards. Saquon's backup, I don't think. I don't even know his. I don't even know his name. Uh, Matt Breida, I think. Uh, he's not going to go in and he's not going to put up Saquon numbers. Um, they had a they had a lot of very very easy games that masked a not very good team, and I think they're going to be in trouble unless they do something big. But like I was saying. You got to bring back Dan Jones or maybe a guy like Ryan Tannehill you can get for a third or a fourth round pick from Tennessee if they feel like moving on from him. And then that way you can go out and get some sort of wide receiver, some sort of tight end, some offensive line help. But I think if if you're a Giants fan, it's a very bad day and it's a sad day. <laughs> it's a sad day. <laughs> yeah. I that, Thank you. Yes. That's very I mean, nice. that's that's my rant. But I could be wrong. I don't think I will be. But I could be. Um, but I think, so we're at about 45 minutes now um, on just the sports talk. Shut it down. I think we shut it down. Um, so as always, 
This has been Ant and Chris yeah. from the Sports and Spaghetti Podcast. Coming to uh, you live from the, the playroom. Play <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a special <laughs> club. <laughs> um, again, thank you guys for listening. Um, we apologize for the late post on our first episode. So if you guys can go back, share that, listen. Um, we appreciate it. We love you guys. And as always, stay full.